Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, your weekly exploration of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Now, it's one of our regular occasional flashback episodes this week, listeners. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with the stories from three issues of Action Comics. I had vaguely thought about doing them at the time they were published, but it kind of felt like it was too far in advance of the reason we'd be doing them. Mm-hmm. So we're touching on them today as a sort of curtain raiser, if you like, a prologue, a preamble. Next week's episode deals with the publication of a very significant comic, a very significant event. If you like, today could almost be a drum roll set up type thing for that. Do you think that's fair, Peter? Yes, it's the warm-up act for next week's episode. It's the the late 90s, early 2000s indie band that you have to sit through before Brian Adams. (laughs) (laughs) That sort of thing. Indeed. It's the minor league one-hit wonder from the 60s you have to sit through before the members of the Manfreds. That sort of thing, yes. I think I've hammered that metaphor to death. Yeah. So, listeners... We are talking today about Action Comics, issues 351 through 353. We're going to read properly the story from issue 353. Issue 351, published at the end of April 1967. Issue 352, published at the end of May 1967. And 353, which is the one we're going to focus on, published on the 29th of June 1967. 11 days after Paul McCartney's 25th birthday, and about a week before Ringo Starr's 27th birthday. Mm-hmm. Now... We will get to the cover of issue 353 in a little while, but before that, Peter has prepared some summaries, some details for issues 351 and 352. Isn't that right, Peter? Yes, I certainly have. Action Comics 351 kicks off with the leaders of a crime syndicate who are meeting to elect a new leader because Superman has captured their last boss. The meeting is interrupted by the appearance of Javam. He's a superpowered criminal who says he should be the leader. Javam shows off his powers, which includes the lightning of Zeus, the strength of Hercules, the invulnerability of Achilles, the flame breath of Vulcan, the archery of Apollo, and the speed of Mercury. Sound familiar, folks? Obviously, the criminals are very impressed, and he's elected their leader. He then takes them on a raid to Fort Knox. My goodness, that's how you kick off your criminal campaign. Absolutely. Superman attempts to stop the robbery, leading to an amazing battle between the two superpowered men. Javam and Superman are fighting to a standstill, but then Javam uses additional power available from his belt, which allows him to grow to titanic size. He then throws Superman into outer space. Now, by the time the Man of Steel recovers and returns to Earth, Javam has disappeared leaving behind only a message for Superman. The message tells Superman to leave Earth. The Man of Steel doesn't, though, but he does know he'll meet Javam again. Interesting. Moving on to Action Comics 352. In this story, Superman puts on a demonstration of his powers for a charity benefit. But Javam barges in and challenges Superman. Of course he does. Can't leave things alone, can he? That's it. Once again, cheating by using the magic powers of his belt, Javam turns Superman into stone. Superman's eventually able to free himself, but not before he's thoroughly humiliated. Javam once again challenges Superman and causes a massive blackout, for which Superman is blamed. Oh dear. Finally, Superman tries to attack Javam's Achilles heel, bearing in mind he gets his invulnerability from Achilles. A bit of a design flaw there, if you ask me. Yeah. 
but Javam expected the attack and covered the heel with <gasps> kryptonite. Oh my goodness. Superman is once again defeated and left to wonder how could he possibly defeat Javam? And that's where that story ends. So, that brings us tidily to issue 353. As I say, published tail end of June 1967. And Peter's going to tell you about the cover, which very helpfully has a picture of Javam on it. It certainly does. Action Comics 353. Cover date August 1967, 12 cents in the corner. We have Javam proudly on the cover. He is a red-haired warrior, very muscular, with a big bushy red beard. Sounds like Peter fancies Javam, doesn't it, listeners? (laughs) (laughs) It's very much like... Oh, what's his name? He's very much like him from Game of Thrones who fancies Brienne. I have never, gladly, I'm proud to say, never willingly seen a single moment of Game of Thrones by my own choice, listeners. (laughs) So that that reference is completely lost on me. Yes, his name entirely escapes me. However, Game of Thrones (laughs) fans will know exactly what I'm talking about. So yes, he's wearing basically just a small kind of Roman loincloth skirt sort of thing round his waist. That's probably fair. Yes, it's in a rather fetching fetching yellow. Uh Uh-huh, with a belt which has lots of different letters on it that he used to gain extra powers that I mentioned in the summaries. And on his feet, he has sandals with wings on them. My goodness. Obviously, the power of Mercury in evidence there. Anyway, Javam is fighting Atlas. Yes, Atlas is a dark-haired chap, again, wearing a Greco-Roman warrior costume, basically meaning pretty much nothing, apart from a little bit round his waist. and They've both got lovely bracelets on as well, and Atlas also has some sandals on, my goodness. Atlas has got some interesting goatee-like facial hair going on as well. You can tell Peter's going to take some fashion tips from these lads, can't you? (laughs) Well, obviously Javam doesn't like his goatee because he's punching him right in it. (laughs) Uh, I'll punch him in the goatee, says Javam. I'll punch him in the goatee! And as he does so, he says... I'm mightier than you, Atlas, or any other god on Mount Olympus. And Atlas responds, saying, No, I am the strongest, Javam. I deserve the honour of destroying Superman. And the aforementioned Superman is actually lying in the background, rubbing his head. Gosh, he looks stunned, and he's thinking, It doesn't matter who wins, I'll be in for the fight of my life. Wow. He mentioned about um, one of the earlier stories about how Javam grew to a giant size. There's a kind of slight hint of that here as well. It looks almost yes. as though it's kind of hard to mm-hmm. tell if Superman's lying some way behind them or if they've both grown to a giant size in front of him. I'm sure we'll find out when we read the story. Indeed. It's a very sort of familiar sort of pop cultural ancient Roman Greco warrior sort of style. They're very similar, yeah. obviously, to the versions of Atlas and, and Hercules and that, who we met God about three years ago, actually. I know. <laughs> They were all over the place back then, yeah. Yeah, when we did the, the I think it was another, was it another, yeah, it was another issue of action comics, can't remember which number, we'd have to look that up. The Three Super Enemies. Yeah, that's the one. And Goliath Hercules, who was similar as that's well. That's right, yeah. I've since found foreign reprints of both of those stories, listeners, so they'll pop up on the socials eventually, maybe not this week, but they will pop up eventually. Maybe I will put them up this week. Um, it might be a good time to do it. Yeah, I'm intrigued by Javam's belt, because as Peter said, you can see some letters on it. They appear to be E-I-Z-T-X-O-N, so is it... Is Javam, you know, is this some kind of version of the hero dial? Does Javam have to dial up mm. powers when he needs them? It should be interesting to see how this all plays out. Indeed. Javam, yes. Sounds a bit similar to something else, doesn't it, listeners? Mm. <laughs> and his powers are made up of people like Zeus and Hercules and Mercury. Mm-hmm. What could we be alluding to? Anyway, Peter, shall we, shall we leap into the story from 353? Let's jump in. Tell us about this splash page. Awesome opening splash page. Superman standing in front of a... Greco-Roman style temple 
and he's being assailed, he's being assaulted by four men, one of whom is wearing a sort of Greco-Roman, which is going to be the take-a-drink phrase for the for the episode, <laughs> a suit of armour with a nice helmet with a big sort of plume on top, and he's apparently firing a bow and arrow at Superman. There's a chap next to him, we don't really see him too clearly, has dark hair, and he's gesturing at Superman, and a couple of lightning bolts are flying from his hands and striking Superman. There's a large chap who appears to be wearing some sort of animal cloth style outfit, and he's hurled a large hammer at Superman's head with a crash that's collided. And there's another guy who looks very much like Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees circa 1979, <laughs> wearing the traditional Greco-Roman warrior outfit of loincloth and boots and stuff and, and wrist sort of bracelets. At first, it just looks like he's maybe singing a verse of More Than A Woman or Staying Alive or something. But if you look more closely, he's actually breathing fire at Superman's back. Mm-hmm. Superman, helpfully at this point, is thinking, I'm being attacked by Apollo, Zeus, Vulcan and Hercules. How can I stand up against all these gods? And a large caption box underneath a Superman logo reads, Superman has met no mightier foe than Javam, the giant who has the powers of the ancient gods. But now the Man of Steel invades the domain of the fabled champions themselves, Mount Olympus. And this leads to Superman's most titanic struggle, the The Battle Battle of of the the gods. Gods. Gosh, how exciting. So, without any further ado, panel one of page two has a caption, and it reads, Far out in space one day, the Man of Steel carries out a super project to aid another world. Yes, Superman's out in space, and it must be very deep out in space, because you can't see any other stars or anything around him. He's carrying some steel girders by the looks of things, and he's thinking, A few more tons of girders to weld with my heat vision, and this space bridge will be done. Linking together these two artificial moons giant satellites in the same orbit. Yes, we see the two moons flying through space behind them. They're artificial moons, but that qualifies Take a Drink. Caption for panel two. Using telepathy, the aliens talk to Superman. There's a nice wheel-shaped space station orbiting one of the moons. Very much like the Nerva Beacon from the the Tom Baker Doctor Who stories are indeed the wheel in space, the Patrick Troughton story, which wasn't too far away from this one at this point. Exactly like them, actually, yeah. And we can see, now that we get a closer look, the moon in the background appears to have some very tall structures, like buildings and stuff going on. So I'm intrigued by this civilization. There's a jaggedy speech bubble coming from the the wheel-shaped space station, as the caption suggested. And we hear the alien voice saying, You know, our original planet was overcome by a permanent ice age. But thanks to you, Superman, all our people can now live on our two artificial moons without being separated. It's quite a lot to unpack there. That could be three issues of a miniseries in its own. (laughs) Yes. See, Superman has completed the structure that links the two moons. As he flies off, he thinks, Finished. I constructed the first interplanetary bridge to carry traffic back and forth between two inhabited worlds. Back to Earth now. And an alien voice says, We will never forget your mighty feet, Superman. Farewell. And of course, by that, they don't mean his feet. They mean his architectural engineering feet of constructing Mm -hmm. the bridge. Although in fairness, I think Superman's feet would be quite mighty. I would think they would be too, like all of them. Mm -hmm. Anyway, caption for panel four reads, But you may not reach Earth, Superman. See soups flying through space, a few details of planets or moons in the background, and seems to be a large sign hovering in space in front of him. It's particularly styled, in fact. Superman thinks, Huh? What's that big shield hanging in space? It is a message. Great stars. And the message reads, Memo from Javam to Superman. I press my belt's O button for Orion's shield, which is impenetrable even by you. 
gosh, so looking back at the front cover, yes indeed, there is an O. So, is that someone else that Javam got powers from? Should that not mean that his name should be Javamo? Ah, Interesting. Wow. In the final panel of page two, Superman is thinking, impenetrable, eh? Well, see about that. And then, ugh, he thinks, I, I only bounced back because he's tried to fly through the shield, but he's indeed been repelled. We arrive at the top of page three and a caption reads, Behind the shield is Superman's foe, who possesses the powers of Zeus, Hercules, Apollo, Vulcan, Achilles, and Mercury. Transuranic elements may not be used where there is life. Yes, we see Javam in all his ginger sunburned glory, holding the shield. We can see actually there are handles on the back, so it's very much like a shield, not just the sign it's hanging. And Javam is thinking to himself, Besides the big six powers, each button on my belt when pressed gives me the added power of a different ancient god or hero. Ha! Wait till Superman tries to fly around this shield. Yep, when Peter and I write our own DC comic, Robbie Reed is going to battle Javam. Simple as that. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. Tom King, if you're listening, don't steal it. I said it first. (laughs) The caption then for panel two. It is the next logical step for Superman, but... Yep, Soup's in-flight is thinking, Blazing Comets, the shield is expanding as fast as I can fly. I'll never get around the edge. You know, he's obviously trying to get around the shield, but the shield has got bigger. Behind the shield, we can hear Shafam's thoughts. The shield of the giant Orion has him trapped. Yes, there's enough thought of superfluous dialogue and captioning already in this, listeners. I don't know if you're getting tired of it, but it was 1967, <laughs> we can forgive it. Now, in the next panel, Shafam has circled around the shield, and he looks huge compared to Superman here. Shafam is gesturing and casting some lightning bolts and thinking, We can't talk in airless space, so I'll use my Zeus lightning bolts to carve out another message on that meteor for Superman to read. And on this poor, unfortunate, but convenient meteor which has gone skating past, it now bears the legend in Javam's words, Give up, Superman. You'll never get past Orion's magic shield and return to Earth. Being a hermit and some small asteroid is all that's left for you. Ha <laughs> ha! To which Superman goes, gulp. In the next panel, Javam has sort of tipped himself up and he's flying down towards Earth, thinking, With Superman blocked off forever, Earth is mine. <laughs> he flies off. Superman is thinking, He left a shield hanging there. My heat vision can't even singe it. We see him, that's what he's doing. He's blasting the shield with the red beams of his heat vision. Superman continues to think, Am I really exiled from Earth? No. I can cross the time barrier into the past, before the shield was placed there, and then reach Earth. Superman, that's cheating. He continues to think. (laughs) Also, I'll track down Javam's origin. I'll head for Mount Olympus in Greece, ancient abode of the gods. And we see him flying through, strokes surrounded by, well, what you'd expect, really, for a DC time travel comic of the Silver Age and Bronze Age, just bright coloured circles. That's what happens when you time travel. No dates hanging in there, though. Very disappointing. I know! <laughs> that really would have sold it, and that would have definitely meant that that panel made it onto the socials. Mm. So we arrive then at the top of page four. The century's unreal until finally... Superman, still flying through a dark nighttime sky with no stars, flies towards a Greco-Roman-style temple at the top of a, a tall mountain, surrounded almost by a rainbow, it looks like. Mm-hmm. That's very pretty. The temple is shining, actually. It's, it's very, very striking. As the Man of Steel flies towards it, he casts over it with some supervision and thinks, Ancient Olympus. Seems there's a conference of the gods and heroes. Hmm. I have an idea how to get in, and learn if Javam is there with a bit of a disguise. And in parallel two, we see Superman standing. Oh, this is fun. He's 
Combs hair forward, so he's a bit of a Beatles fringe. Yay! He's taken part of his cape and wrapped it round himself, wrapped it around his front, covered up his ear shield. And obviously, while he's doing this, he's obviously pointing out what he's doing, and he's thinking, hair rumpled, cape fixed on differently, and I'll borrow that lute somebody left there. And we see, indeed, this old-style musical instrument lying on a handy bench or something beside him, all very convenient. In panel three, Superman has entered this little conference that's going on between the gods and heroes. We see various people in togas and helmets and armour sat around. Some of them will be introduced to the story properly, so we'll talk about them when we get there. But he walks in with his loot under his arm, with his Beatles haircut, which is incredibly distracting, and he's spotted by a man on a throne, wearing a green t-shirt with a yellow lightning bolt on it and a green cape. He's a very neat dark hair, a wild black moustache and a very neat black beard. This man cries, By Uranus, who is this intruder? Cast him out. Wait, almighty Zeus, replies Superman. Listen to the song of a humble, wandering minstrel. Soups raises his hand to try and calm him down. And then Soups thinks at this point, I'm glad I memorised all languages, including Greek. And the next panel, he stands with all the gods and heroes watching him. It's a cracking shot of Mercury in both of these two panels, actually. Wearing a helmet that does look like Jay Garrick's with very exaggerated wings. It's very, very funny. It looks like Jay in his holidays. Sunbathing Jay. (laughs) Yes. Sunbathing Jay Garrick, coming soon from Todd McFarlane Toys Limited, probably. (laughs) Soups is strumming his lute in panel four and he sings... Mighty immortals, your fame is great. To be known forever is your golden fate. Zeus applauds in the final panel of page four, saying, Bravo, thou art a clever rhymester, minstrel man. Thou hast earned the right to dine with us. Soups takes a bow, looking very modest. It's weird, actually, his hair looking like this in the different cape. It's, it's almost like a, a rejected new 52 Superman redesign. <laughs> That's how it reads, it reads to my eyes anyway. Mm-hmm. So the caption for the first panel of page five, after a slow dissolve, reads... Later! See Soups sat at the table. Some of the gods and heroes sat around. We see Mercury there. We see a lady with sort of piled up red hair. A chap with a plumed helmet. Another chap with a sort of headband around his head. Another guy wearing a, a laurel crown. Some other folks standing around. Mercury's there with his exaggerated wings. Superman is thinking, hmm, no sign of Shavam here. And Zeus is saying to the assembled group, Attention all, the Oracle of Delphi here will now unveil the far future and reveal what new honours await us centuries from now. Gaze into a crystal ball. Yes, the Oracle of Delphi is a lady sat next to wearing the purple robe. And it must be said, I'm going to have to send this first panel to my friend Fraser, because Zeus looks awful like my pal Fraser, who works at FWG3. I suddenly <laughs> realise... Listeners, do any of the, the gods depicted in this story look like anyone you work with? Write in and let us know. People will tell you how to do that at the end of the episode. The caption for panel two reads, In the Oracle's crystal ball, a stark scene unfolds. Yes, we see a temple, presumably the one that they're in, and some of the pillars have been knocked over. Things ruined, basically. The roof's missing. We hear the Oracle saying, I foresee disaster, Zeus. In the future, your temple will be abandoned. End up in ruins... To which Zeus says, By the waters of Oceanus, what does it mean, Oracle? And the image in her crystal ball changes. We see a modern city. Tall skyscrapers, lampposts, people in modern clothes, including a man wearing a white hat, which he probably stole from the cast of Detective Comics 26. <laughs> Oracle's voice can be heard saying, Behold, Lord of Olympus, crowds praising someone to the skies. And we see these modern people, the guy in the white hat, is waving and he shouts, He's the greatest! Hooray! And Zeus asks, Aha, I wonder which of us gods they're cheering. The oracle is looking into her crystal ball, as is Zeus, and the oracle says, None of you! They will have another hero in the future! 
and we see the familiar figure of the Man of Steel, our Superman, our kal flying above the crowd as one man in the street cries, Hurrah for Superman! And a woman cries, He's our boy! And a very angry Zeus runs out this panel saying, Great heads of Cerebus, how dare they! Yes, both panels on page six are fantastic. This whole page is probably going to end up on the socials. FYI, Zeus is raising his left hand in rage and finding his lightning bolts into the sky and he yells, Bah! Can that hero equal our powers, such as the lightning bolts of Zeus? And we see the man next to him, thick brown beard, thick brown hair, wearing the, the animal print, which is presumably something he acquired during one of his labours. For this chap announces, Everyone knows the unmatched strength of Hercules. And there's another guy who looks like my pal Fraser who works at SWG3, who's wearing gold armour, purple tunic, and Hercules is smashing a statue on his head. This guy's completely unfazed, and he says, And... How invulnerable is Great Achilles? Well, that's Achilles, obviously. It's been struck by the statue. It's not Phasium. The next chap we see is the Barry Gibb lookalike with a hammer in his belt who's roaring and sending a big burst of fire from his mouth into the air. And he cries, No one can duplicate the flame breath of Vulcan. The next chap, who's one of the guys we saw in the splash panel wearing a red tunic with a nice yellow sunburst and a big fancy golden helmet with a red plume, he fires his bow and arrow into the sky, yelling, Apollo's mighty arrows could reach the moon. And then sunbathing Jay Garrick jumps into the air. We can see the wings on his feet. He seems to have a very minimal toga around his body. Raising both hands, he leaps into the air, crying, But I, Mercury, cannot fly them with my winged sandals! The final panel on page six, massive big image, is again Oracle's crystal ball. You see Superman doing various exciting things, like deflecting a bolt of lightning and using heat vision to open the door and lifting a car to knock someone out of it and hurling a missile up into space. And the Oracle narrates all of this, saying, Ah! But Superman will have many powers. He could match you all. You are forgotten. People will sing the praises of the Man of Steel. Zeus isn't too happy in the first panel of page seven. He says, You mean, we will be has-beens? All the glory of our mighty deeds will no longer be remembered? So it will be, says the Oracle. I have spoken. In the next panel, an angry Zeus grabs her crystal ball and hurls it, saying, And you, minstrel, praised us, saying we would be known forever. This crystal ball will teach you to flatter the gods falsely. Yes, he sent a crystal ball flying towards Superman, who in this panel looks kind of... Do you remember, was it Tough of the Track? Yes! Doesn't he look like that guy? Alf Tupper, Tough of the Track. Yeah. Yes, from, what was it, Tiger comic, was it? Tiger Speed, one of those British Weekly comics from the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, one of those. That's who he looks like to me. He looks very much like the hero of a, a downtrodden sporting hero from a British Weekly. But um, anyway, Soups, <laughs> as he sees the crystal ball flying towards him, thinks, uh-oh, if I'm unhurt, they'll know I'm invulnerable and that I'm no mere minstrel. He ducks out of the way and there's a whap sound effect as the crystal ball bounces off his face. He thinks, phew, I barely dashed it at super speed. Then he says out loud, I'm glad you are... Missed me, great Zeus. Please forgive me. I am no soothsayer. At this point, Zeus turns to another figure standing beside them. A very, very tall man, wearing armour, thick armour across his shoulders and his chest. He's a little headband wrapped around. He looks possibly like a member of Spandau Ballet or a lesser member of Adam and the Ants, circa Top mm. of the Pops in 1981. Zeus says to this giant figure, No matter. We must deal with that future upstart. Yes, Prometheus. I have an idea, Zeus. I will use my power to create men out of clay. Come here tomorrow. A slow dissolve, the caption for the final panel, page seven. Next day. 
Superman and Zeus and some of the other gods that we've seen earlier on. We can see Hercules, we can see Vulcan. The lad with the, the laurel crown who was there earlier on, he's there. Colour folks, they're all standing around. Prometheus is standing there, very tall, still wearing his headband. He seems to have sketched out a, a rough humanoid figure out of orange clay stretched out on a table in front of him. Prometheus is saying to the, the group, When finished, the clay hero I moulded shall be our champion. Six of you come forward and bestow your powers upon him. And in the first panel of page eight, that's what happens. We see a Superman looks on, the Barry Gibb look-alike, Zeus, the chap with the helmet and uh, the furrow, the guy in the animal outfit, and sunbathing Jay Garrick. They're all reaching forward and tapping the golem, if you like. Little bursts of lightning are coming from their hands, and it's taken on a, a clearer human form. Prometheus stands by and says, There! The powers of Zeus, Hercules, Apollo, Vulcan, Achilles and Mercury flow into him and behold, our champion comes to life. Meet Javam. And indeed, Javam is now fully formed. We see his thick red hair, his little yellow loincloth, his thick red beard. In panel two, Superman watches as Javam gets to his feet. Superman thinks, so that's how Javam originated. And we see Prometheus attaching a belt to Javam's loincloth, saying... This belt holds the powers of the other gods, not only those of Olympus, but those of other lands as well. Javan can use them when necessary. That's handy. Yes. That'd be good. Why didn't a certain wizard think about that when he was given powers to a certain <laughs> guy in red? Anyway, Zeus stands in front of Javan. Javan, at this point, it must be said, is bigger than everyone else. He's very, very tall. Even taller than Prometheus. And Prometheus is a good head and shoulders above Superman. Zeus looks up at Javan and says, Do you, Javan? Swear to uphold the honour and glory of Olympus? Will you destroy our future rivals so that we will reign supreme again? Javan replies, I vow it, O Zeus. Great shot of his belt here. We can see the letters X, O, N, F and J. I'll have another vowel, please, Rachel. The caption for the final panel of page 8 reads, Crashing downward, the black bolts of Pluto, lord of the netherworld, open up a gloomy passage. Yes, Pluto, who looks very much like Vulcan, it must be said. Yeah. Especially if you, if you compare how he looks here and the splash panel. Hair's a little different. It's more brown than black. But anyway, mm -hmm. Pluto is indeed hurling black lightning bolts, which are crashing into the ground and opening up a hole. Pluto is saying, To reach the future, you must cross the river Styx and pass through Erebus, the realm of eternal darkness. Great are the terrors on the way. Javam isn't having it. He's very dismissive. He says, Bah! I fear nothing, Pluto. Pride comes before a fall, listeners, mark my words. First panel of page nine. We see that Javam has descended down this little staircase that's appeared under this hole in the ground and climbed into a boat. He's starting to row himself away. We hear Pluto's voice coming from up through the hole saying, Beware, Javam. You have the invulnerability Achilles gained when he was dipped in the sticks. Touching those enchanted waters now can undo the spell and make you mortal. Again, the supremely confident Javam is very dismissive. He calls back, Fear not, I will use caution. Farewell. And then in panel two, Pluto says, The way is sealed again. Yes, and indeed we can see that he's firing. His black lightning bolts into the ground and the hole has vanished. Joined, filled up, etc. Sealed, as he says. Zeus says to the Oracle in this panel, Tell me, Oracle, will our plan succeed? I know not. You threw away my crystal ball, which can reveal the future. I must return to Delphi. 
and in panel three, she walks off. Superman standing in the background, still holding the crystal ball that he dodged earlier on. He watches her go and he thinks, hmm, I'm going to follow the Oracle and consult her myself about something I have in mind. I'm glad I salvaged her crystal. And a slow dissolve. Later, after a visit to the Oracle. And we see Superman again flying through some coloured circles. And this time, they do have some dates on them. Yay! He's thinking, now I'm prepared to challenge Zavam again. I'll cross the time barrier to the 20th century, but I'm arriving five minutes before. Old Red Whiskers blocked me with the shield of Orion. I'll carve a message for Zavam on that meteor. We see him thinking, looking towards another large golden celestial body. I hope, I wonder if it's the same meteor. Anyway, we'll possibly never know. The caption then for the first panel of page 10 reads, Several minutes later. Yes, we see Zavam flying into space above the Earth. We see couple of other planets in the distance. He's bearing the big shield and he's thinking, Superman will never reach Earth. Huh? But then the meteor that Superman spotted a minute ago goes flying past and it bears the legend. Hi, blockhead. Did you think your silly shield could stop me? At noon tomorrow, I challenge you to a final super showdown in the arena at Latium. And it's signed Superman. Gosh, a slow dissolve the caption for panel two. When Javam keeps the appointment in the ruined arena in the ancient city of Latium. Yes, we see Javam descending from the sky. And we see his winged sandals, which is pretty cool. We can see his belt and all that sort of stuff. We can see the ruined temple in the background. As he alights, he says, Here I am, Superman. I'm through toying with you. This time I'll destroy you as I vow to Zeus back on Mount Olympus. Superman is watching him arrive from the ruins. Panel 3 is a close-up of Javam's belt as he presses one of the letters. He's saying, First, I press my C button for Cyclops. And now I'll blast you out of hiding, coward. Yeah, and we see that this is actually quite horrific. His eyes, where they should be, have kind of sealed up and another eye has appeared in the middle of his forehead and is blasting a burst of golden energy towards Superman. Gosh, a tiny caption says continued on second page following. Past the full page of advertisement for some ideal model kits. That's pretty cool. And then in the first panel of page 11, we see the golden energy from the Cyclops eye striking the hiding place of Superman, sitting rubble and bricks and stuff flying. Javam says, The ray beam from my single Cyclops eye has the power to stab through even your invulnerable skin. Ha ha ha! Yes, a massive zap as everything goes flying. Superman leans back in panel two saying, Maybe so, but we're battling on even terms now. You see, I have a belt of magic powers too. I'll press the letter P for Pan, who played the magical Pan Pipes. And indeed, we can see in panel two that Superman does have one of these belts around his waist. That's very interesting. Where did he get that from, listeners? If you're paying attention, you've probably worked it out. Soups, suddenly in panel three, has a little dinky set of Pan Pipes, which he toodles on. Some musical notes can be seen in panel four, and has a rough scree sound effect <laughs> as Javam looks very pained and starts jiggling about, saying, Great Jove! The pipes are forcing me to dance. I can't control my blast beam anymore. Yeah, we can see the sort of yellow energy that he was blasting from his eye dissolving around him. Very interesting. Soups, watches and thinks, dance clown, dance. In the next panel, we get a close-up of him tootling away in his pipes and behind him, a flashback to what he was up to back in the past as he thinks, that was a great inspiration that came to me back in the past to follow the Oracle of Delphi to her cave and after returning her crystal, to ask her a question. And we see Superman in the cave with the Oracle. Superman is saying, Where can I get a belt like Shavam's? To which the Oracle replies, Watch! 
as I conjure up a vision of another group of gods who recently quarrelled with the Olympians. Their leader is Neptune, lord of the sea. And we see Neptune, who is a wild white beard and wild white hair that's all obviously hair sprayed up to within an inch of its life. He's wearing a sort of armour tunic and a green loincloth and we can see some other mustachioed and helmeted figures behind him. This, I like the Oracle's suggestion here that there was a war of the gods. Mm. That might give someone a, an idea for a crossover circa 1991, wouldn't it? Could do, yes. Superman's narration flashback thing, he continues in the first caption for the first part of the page 12, as he thinks, I swam to the undersea kingdom where Neptune offered me his aid. And we see Superman with his cape drifting up behind him because he's underwater. On the floor, in front of Neptune, is a belt similar to Shavam's. We can see some of the letters on it. There's a C and I, a U. A couple of other gentlemen, as we said, wearing winged helmets and wearing capes and having nice fancy beards and, and gauntlets and stuff. Along with Neptune, they are striking the belt and it is glowing. Neptune is saying to Superman, Interesting. The caption for panel two reads... His recollection's over, Superman returns to the mighty Battle of the Belts. Battle of the Belts? It's like something off of Harry Hill, isn't it? <laughs> it is actually, yeah. So Superman, proudly with his belt around his waist, is addressing Javam, saying, Since you gave up your Cyclops power, I don't need Pan's pipes anymore. And with a little poof sound effect, the pipes vanish. Javam looks enraged and goes to touch his belt again, saying, But now I'll use two buttons. M for Mars, god of war, and S for Siva, the four-armed Hindu god. And now that Javam has pressed these buttons, we can see that he's grown another two arms. Oh my goodness, he continues. Each of my arms has a magic sword, which can wound even you, Superman. Yes, and we see all the swords being waved around, and this again puts me in mind of the three super enemies, because I seem to remember a giant version of one of them with extra arms and a, a Dr. Fate-style helmet. But it was about three years ago, listeners. That's astonishing that we did that one. My goodness. Mm. We might post a link to that one in the socials at some point and encourage you to listen to it. Yeah, uh, we might do. Anyway, Soups looks up at these four swords and extra arms and says, Not after I press B for Balder, the Norse god whom no sword could harm. There's a whap and a whack as the, the swords strike against Superman and bend and break. Gosh, the final panel, page 12. Javam's extra arms have vanished as he once again goes for his belt, saying, Then I'll press my J button for Jason. Which means he's going to have the breakdancing powers of Jason Orange, one of the original members of Take That. That's going to be useful, isn't it? Sure. First panel of page 13. Oh my goodness, this is terrific. Holy Ray Harryhausen, Batman. Javam is saying, Now I will sow the dragon teeth as Jason did, but instead of mere warriors... These grow real dragons. Nothing can survive their fiery breath. As he sows the dragon's teeth, fully formed dragons burst out of the ground. Breathing fire all over the place is stunning. An inset panel for panel two, Superman presses a letter on his belt saying, Your pets don't scare me. I'll stop them with my M button. She's M being pressed. It stands for Midas, who had the golden touch. Now your dragons will be harmless gold statues. And indeed, Soups is flying up. Touching the dragons and turning them to solid gold. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. That's worse than the Thunderbolt turning that herd of buffalo into butterflies. That's awful. <laughs> I'll turn back. It's fine. The caption for panel four. As the fight rages on, Javam makes deadly use of the rainbows of Iris. 
The Rainbows of Iris supported menswear at the Plaza in 1996, I believe. I think some of the members went on to form Cooler Shaker. Soups is now surrounded by little discs of rainbow-coloured energy. Shivam is saying, The magic bows will constrict around you like a super python! Ha ha ha! exclaims Superman. The caption for the final panel of page 13 reads, But another button is pressed by Superman, and... Yes, we see him touching the letter S this time, and Soup says, The rays of Saul, the sun god, can dissipate these rainbows. And we see a golden orb has appeared beside him with a happy smiling face on it, and yellow energy is bursting out and striking Superman, so all the, the little golden rainbow circles and hoops are disappearing. As we arrive at the top of page 14, Shavam has struck again. He's saying... Speaking of sun gods, I adjusted my P button for Phaeton. He drove the sun chariot around the earth. Javam leaps into this chariot, which has suddenly appeared, being drawn by two horses whose hooves and manes are burning with fire. He loops up above Superman on panel two, racing down towards him again, cracking a weapon saying, Surrender Superman, or I'll fry the whole earth like crisp bacon. See? The chariot's flames even melt solid stone! Yes, we see some of the stone in the ground in front of Superman starting to dissolve, as Javam intends. The caption in for panel three. Quick-wittedly, the man of might presses his F button, and... <laughs> this is very exciting, yes. Javam presses his F button and gestures, saying, I'll fight fire with ice by gaining the power of the frost giants of the frozen north. And indeed, the poor horses in the chariot have been frozen solid, Javam goes flying off, landing in front of Superman on the first panel of page 15 and saying, Enough play, Superman! Off with my boots! My leaden sheath and the green kryptonite sock protecting my Achilles heel will destroy you! <laughs> yes, his feet must be stinking because Superman recoils, saying, Oh, but no, that's actually because Javam has just kicked him in the chest with his heel. And we can see that the, the heel indeed is, is wrapped up in green. That's very, very interesting. Very interesting. Superman lying on the ground on his back. Panel 2, looking very pained, touches his belt again, saying, Those deadly rays! Only one chance! Press my A button to summon Atlas, the strongest man of the past! There's a little puff of smoke and Atlas appears! Huge! Muscular! Barrel-chested, also wearing one of those little headbands that everyone else was wearing. And he says, How can I serve you, friend? Want me to lift the whole world as I once did? And from the ground, Soup says, No, but use your vast strength to grab up Javam. And that's what, indeed what happens. Atlas grabs Javam round the waist. There's a crunch sound effect. Oh, he's play, cracking some ribs. Javam in pain says, he, He's more powerful than I am. After all, Hercules never lifted a world. The final panel of page 15. Atlas has grabbed Javam by one of the wrists and is whirling him round the, <laughs> round the nair above his head. And on the ground, Soup's now holding his belt in his hand, says to Atlas, Now give Javam the old airplane spin, Atlas, which makes his green K sock sail away. Then hold him down while I use my belt to give him a super hard underhand blow in his Achilles heel. The only vulnerable spot he has. And indeed, using his belt like a coiled up towel, he whips Javam on the heel of his right foot. Atlas grins as he looks on and Javam yells yeah! In the next panel Javam looks unconscious. Atlas stands with his hands on his head but Superman starts to lift Javam's body saying, that took all the fight out of him. Now I'll fly him through the time barrier into the past. Destination, Mount Olympus. In the past, at the temple. Soups has arrived at the temple and he flies in and hurls Javam head over heels down onto the ground, saying, Here's your great champion, Zeus. 
He made a mistake by challenging me, Superman. And as the other gods look on, Zeus stands and says, By all the furies, you are truly as mighty as the oracle said you would be. See in the next panel. Shavam's body's been stretched out on a sort of tabletop dais. Zeus looks down on him. Prometheus the giant is there. Zeus says, Turn Javam back into lifeless clay, Prometheus. He failed. Superman is more powerful than all of us put together. Prometheus gestures, and Shavam's features dissolve. His body returns to the lump of orange clay. Superman watches this, saying, Well, I guess I won't have any more trouble playing Olympic Games with you guys. And a slow dissolve, the caption for the final panel of the story. And back in 1967, when Superman visits Mount Olympus... Superman looks at the, the temple, which obviously suffered through the years, pillows lying on the ground, no roof, etc., and he says, Their temple is abandoned, just as the oracle predicted. The Olympians have vanished into limbo, and only these ruins remain, as a monument to the failure of Javan. And a small caption reads, The, the End. end. Yeah, very interesting. Obviously, listeners, the reason we've talked about Shazam is because it sounds a little bit like Shazam and also a little mm -hmm. bit like the original Captain Marvel. He gets his powers from a sort of acronym of all the gods who sponsored him. Yeah, basically four of the same gods have uh, powered Shazam here. Yes. Just with Falcon being added and Apollo being added instead of Solomon and Atlas. I wonder if readers in the time picked up on that and sort of thought, hang on a minute. <laughs> As I said at the top, listen, I'd vaguely thought about suggesting to Pete that we did this, you know, mm. round about the time, but, you know, it, yeah. if we'd done it in 1967, it would have been ages before we got yeah. to the publication of issue one of Shazam. Yes. And we might have had to remind people, so it was probably a good idea that we held off and just decided to do it then. What did you think of the story then, Peter? It is quite interesting to read these stories because all three of them together form just this overall character arc, which uh, they were trying out that sort of experiment at the time. Yeah. Because we'd had things like the Annihilator arc after this, and there was also the Superman King of the World storyline, which ran over a few issues. Of course. It's great fun. It's obvious where the inspiration for this came from. The writer of this story was Otto Binder, who actually wrote some of the Captain Marvel adventures, obviously. Of course. For Fawcett's back in the day. Wayne Boring was the artist in this. I don't think he ever drew Captain Marvel, which uh, would have been quite good if they could get someone who had drawn Captain Marvel in this. It'd be quite fun. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, Schaffenberger was around at this point. Mm -hmm. That would have been interesting. I mean, I have to say, mm -hmm. it's a very well-told story. It flows really well, but Superman, I, I, I kind of... I'm never sure what I think of Wayne Boring's Superman. If you look at page 11, panel 3, he just looks grotesque, quite frankly. His proportions are just really, really... Oh, yeah. ...really yeah. uneven and odd. And He looks like he's smoking four cigarettes in that panel. Yeah, even when you see him on page 4, it's you know even, even though he's in disguise, he does look a bit odd. You know, it's mm -hmm. that, that weird barrel chest, sort of weird middle-aged middle -aged spread belly that he's got. Yeah. Ross and I actually talked about that on um, Opal City Confidential a few weeks ago. <laughs> the Boring Superman... An epic is, is a good way of putting it, and it's obvious that Otto knew what he was up to. Mm -hmm. I think it's quite fun and different to give Javam's origin in his final appearance yes. in this trilogy. <laughs> there are callbacks to Javam in the future, we'll talk about that later on. Uh -huh. But yeah, it's really interesting to actually give his origin, which incidentally is a cross between Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman. Yes. Being born out of clay, which is fascinating. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. Javam certainly feels like something that could be, you know, a lot more could be done with. More without a doubt, yeah. There is a good concept there. Mm -hmm. He has appeared very, very recently. In fact, recently is the other week when issue one of Shazam Night Terrors was published by DC. The first page has, has Mary dispensing with Javam. It's obviously a nice little in-joke reference from, from Mr. Mark Wade, but I was sort of thinking, when I saw it, I thought, that Mark, that's genius, but come on, you could have done a bit more. <laughs> Bring him back and give us three issues. 
give us yeah. the issues with Javam that would be a bit more interesting. Yep. And of course, shortly after this, the ghost of Javam appeared in an issue of Superman, but it was actually just a, an alien's projection. Basically, it was like a almost like a college hazing stunt, uh-huh. as it were, to get into this uh, secret society. Yeah, I think that, I want to say that's around about issue 214. I want to yeah. say... It's run about then anyway, yes, because mm-hmm. it's is it Metallo as well as on the cover? Yep. Superman's cowering from the ghost of Javam and Metallo, and yep. Lois is sort of saying that she can't see any anything spooky going on. It's yeah, another another one you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting concept because basically, as I said, it's it's almost like a cross between Dial H for Hero and and Captain Marvel. So I mean, that's obviously yeah. what should happen. Mark Wade should write a story in, involving Dial H for Hero, whichever version is now current in the, in the continuity, because mm-hmm. I've kind of lost count. And Javam with Superman and Captain Marvel caught in the middle. I'd buy it. <laughs> yes, the two of us would buy it and no one else. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I've got, there's a lot of interesting stuff in this story. Like the reference to sewing the, the dragon's teeth is obviously, and that's a reference that would have been clear mm-hmm. to a lot of kids reading this because the, the Jason the Argonauts movie was, was fairly recent at this point. I mean, yeah. And I'll talk more about my particular affection for Shazam, Captain Marvel, and all that next week, Media Issue 1. And I've got to say, when I was a little boy, I was as fascinated by. Greek myths and all that sort of stuff as it was by yeah. comic books and Doctor Who and, and the Famous Five and stuff. I remember seeing Clash of the Titans in the cinema, you know, when it was out and being oh fascinated gosh, yeah. with stuff like the, mm-hmm. the old Sinbad movies and the, mm-hmm. and Jason the Argonauts when I saw them on television. I remember going to secondary school in 1985 and being astonished that classical studies was actually a subject that we yep. would be doing at school. I couldn't believe <laughs> they were going to be, you know, studying about all the Greek myths and stuff. It was it was the only one of my old grades that I got a one for, listeners. Wow, I remember the knowledge that I had from all the, the Ray Harryhausen movies and from all the, the Captain Marvel comics, you know, I remember my teacher being very impressed one day when I talked about Moly, as in Holy Moly. I uh-huh. remember Mr. Stewart being very impressed at that. <laughs> I think we were the last old grade class to sit at in our school. I think all the classical studies teachers yeah. were retrained as computer teachers within a year or two after we sat at the old grade, so. Wow, that's a bit of a turnaround. Yeah, Mr. Stewart in our school was very pleased that his final class all did very well because we all passed with ones and twos. He was, he was glad that that's how it rounded out no idea if they still teach I mean it's one of these things it's the decline of civilization. quite frankly I see if they don't teach kids about cool and interesting stuff like that you know anymore anyway that was that was nearly 40 years ago of course <laughs> there's a lot to like in this I mean I I'm going to seek out my own copies of 351 and 352 and 353 I think mm-hmm. I'm reading from Peter's copy 353 today I'm very intrigued by this I, I, I'm fascinated with the character and the, the, the similarity between these other heroes that we keep saying it's fascinating mm-hmm. and I liked all the time travel that was quite good how Casually, Superman was just like, yeah, I'll just go back to ancient Olympus. Yep. Get there just in time as they're creating them. Easy. Yeah, it's quite a coincidence he happens to arrive there just at that moment, really, isn't it? Yeah. Although, time travel does bring up an interesting point, because he travels to five minutes before he leaves, when he comes back. Ah, yes. Which he shouldn't be able to do, because the DC pre-crisis rules of time travel are, if the same person exists twice in the same time period, then one of them has to be a phantom. Yes, of course. And not able to interact with anything. Yep. So that's maybe something Otto Binder wasn't aware of or just fudged just to get around this. It reminds me of an episode of Land of the Giants where Gary Thingy and Don Marshall's characters get sent back in time to before the the spin drift takes off on its ill-flated flight mm-hmm. and they basically replace themselves. Oh, right, okay. At no point do, do the original versions of Steve and, and Thingy turn up at any point. They just sort of get supplanted. It's very, very interesting. And it's oh, one okay. of these, the first time I watched it, I thought, this is fantastic, but then you watch it and you think, wait a minute, where's the real Gary thingy and Don Marshall? Why shouldn't we shouldn't they anyway? Mm, okay. Listeners, if I ever sort it out myself, I would love to do a Land of the Giants podcast to tell you. 
Anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, the time trip. You're right. I, I didn't think of that when we were when we were reading it there. Yeah, it's one of these inconsistencies. It's actually really quite irritating. But a lot of the time, yeah. when they've established that rule, when they don't follow mm. up on it, that was maybe more of a Julie Schwartz thing as opposed to a Mort Weisinger thing. Sure, Mort's the editor of this story of these stories, I should say. So yeah, I mean the Superman comics are kind of a lot of themselves, really, aren't they? Yeah, this is definitely the sort of stuff Alan Moore was riffing on when he was doing his Supreme Run, without a doubt. Right, I haven't read any of that. Yeah, this style of story uh, is exactly what he was. Doing, right. and he was having a wheel of a time doing it interesting track them down if you can folks because they are great but they're few and far between we are still a long way away from any coherent unified DC universe really at this point aren't we yeah that's true the Superman who's turning up in action comics is vastly different from the guy who's having adventures of the Justice League mm-hmm. and, and the world's finest and all that sort of stuff but that's just how it was yeah, yeah. you could just pick up a comic read it enjoy it and it was disposable entertainment exactly admittedly in a three issue arc <laughs> and at this time so yeah <laughs> It's quite funny that uh, for this story, uh, we're doing a story featuring a character called Oracle, and uh, I'm using the same voice that I used for the character of Oracle in Seven Soldiers of Victory to play Javan. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, can you guess who inspired my Oracle voice? Write in and let us know, and I'll send you a signed photograph of myself if you're <laughs> if you manage to guess. <laughs> and if you can guess who inspired my Javan voice. Uh, then again, write in and let us know, and I'll send you a signed photograph of David. Yes, Peter will sign a photograph for me as well for you. That would be nice. So, shall we jump to the contemporary letters then, Mr. Watson? We certainly shall. There's not a huge amount, to be honest. But there's a few, so we shall do them nonetheless. So we'll jump ahead to Metropolis Mailbag from Action Comics 356, and the first letter says, Dear Editor, I thought the Parasite was a bad cookie, but Javam has him beat by a wide margin. The Parasite is small potatoes compared to the power and wickedness of Javam. The Parasite only clobbered Superman for one issue, yet Javam went through three issues, completely disgracing the Man of Steel. If you ask me, Superman will be lucky if he ever gains the respect he had before battling this multi-multi-powered villain. Anyway, no matter what happens, I'll always be a Superman fan. And that's from Dan Diaz, Santa Clara, California. Editorial response, the Parasite is going to get a chance to prove himself a greater no-goodnik than the Shavam very soon, when he is a return match with the Man of Might. Watch for it. Ed. Another letter goes like this. Dear Editor, I enjoyed your Shavam tales and I like the way the writer used the theme of the ancient god's jealousy. One thing bothered me though, it was the words, after all, Hercules never lifted a world. If I'm correct, he did lift the world, or rather the heavens, which is what Atlas was actually supposed to have lifted during his quest for the golden apples of the Hesperides. He asked Atlas to get the apples for him. Atlas agreed, but only if Hercules would hold up the heavens while he was gone. Rat think that he was, Atlas later refused to take back his burden, so Hercules asked him to hold it for a second while he got a cushion for his shoulders. Since Atlas was a little shy in the brains department, he fell for it. And the freed Hercules bade him a fond adieu. And that very interesting informative letter is from Bob Muschow. D- oh my goodness, Dector Ellen Dector? Is that, is that? Decatur. It's not Decatur. How do you pronounce it? In Illinois, Mr. Higgins will no doubt tell me if I've got that completely wrong. Editorial response to that one is But Hercules only supported the heavens for a short time, while Atlas did it for centuries. We think that still leaves Atlas as the greatest hold up man of all time, says the editor. Awesome. We jump forward to the next issue, to 357, and a letter there which reads, Dear Editor, in action number 353, Javam says, Now I will sow the dragon teeth, as Jason did. But in the movie, Jason the Argonauts, Jason did not sow the dragon's teeth. 
The ruler of the country where the Golden Fleece was kept, sewed the teeth. That's quite a goof, isn't it? And that's from Clem Zip Jr., Seattle, Washington. Editorial response to Clem is... It sure is, but we didn't commit it. The guy who wrote that movie script did. The most ancient writers agree that Jason had to sew the teeth in his attempt to win the Golden Fleece. Interesting. And another letter says, Dear editor, in number 353, you were wrong in saying Baldur was the god no sword could harm. He was the god of light. It says so in the Golden Book Encyclopedia under Norse Gods. Is this a boo-boo? And that's from Melody Brown, New Montmouth, New Jersey. Melody Brown! Response to that, nope, your encyclopedia is right, but so are we. Baldur, god of light, was invulnerable to everything, except mistletoe. Therefore, no swords could harm him. But Christmas kisses are deadly. Yes. I'm going to have to go and check my Thor omnibus to see if Walter Simonson ever did anything with mistletoe. And the final letter goes like this. Dear editor, the Battle of the Gods is built on a faulty premise. At the end, Superman says, the Olympians have vanished into limbo. The fact that their classical influence is by no means dead. Who has not heard of Clymenestra, the Dioscuri, Phoebus, Apollo, or Philomela? Are Xanthus and Ballius forgotten? The twelve gods of Olympus are remembered by any MD who has studied the Hippocratic Oath. By Jove, you goofed, didn't you? <laughs> and that's from Alexandra Bethune, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And the editorial response to that one is... The point was that no one today believes in the ancient Greek and Roman gods. We still remember their names, but no one builds temples to them or offers them sacrifices. Get the point? And now, if you'll excuse us, we want to look up some of those names you mentioned. We've forgotten who they were. And that's brilliant. That's a, a, a nice one to end things on. So that was a contemporary correspondence, but why don't you write to us and tell us what you think about these stories and how excited you are for the upcoming Shazam story? You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. You can even leave us a voicemail if you go to speakpipe.com forward slash theearth2podcast. You can leave us a voicemail and we might even play it on the show. As we have done recently when Caitlin Higgins did that thing. Be sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram pages, The Earth 2 Podcast. I've, you'll no doubt be astonished to learn, track down a few foreign reprints of the Javam covers. I'll be hurling them out to delight and entice you. Follow us on Twitter, podcast underscore Earth 2. And of course, remember, it's the number two in all of our social media. If you're feeling generous, you go to wherever it is you receive your podcasts and leave us a nice positive review. That'd be lovely. Be sure to tell your pals. I think we've got a few new listeners recently on the back of our Seven Soldiers epic. So if you've stuck around, thanks for that. Mm -hmm. Let us know what you're thinking and what we're doing. It would be cool to hear it. So yes, as we say, this has all been a preamble because next week we're doing issue one of Shazam as the the original Captain Marvel arrives at DC Comics. The world's mightiest mortal, the big red cheese. How exciting. Mm -hmm. Have we got Zachary Levi and Asher Angel to do the voices for us? You'll have to tune in and find out. On that bombshell, I've been Peter. I've been David. We'll see you soon on Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. And then sunbathing Jay Garrick jumps into the air. We can see the wings on his feet. It looks like he's wearing a sort of toga around his head. Around his head? He seems to have a very minimal toga around his head. Is it again? <laughs> <laughs>